You can turn to Romans chapter 8, and if you see uh, verse 14 up there, that's not a typo. That's all we're going to talk about this morning. <laughs> and you're like, woohoo, get home early. Well, I got 13 pages of notes. <laughs> I will only talk about eight of them. I don't know how, but we will. <laughs> I, you know, it. It is such a blessing to stand up here and see the things that I see. When often we take communion, communion just becomes something that we just do. You know, it's, we're just used to it. We, if you've grown up in the church, you've seen it so much, and you just do it. It doesn't really, it isn't really something that is meaningful. But it's such a blessing. I saw so many parents talking with their kids. The lessons and the gospel that we learn through communion is vital. And it was such a blessing. Kids learning. That's what family is about. We're teaching and training. And I loved it. I, I love that. And, and there was a gospel being shared, people talking about Christ. I saw so much. And so to go from it was just something you do to something that's really special to even teach while we're taking communion, that it means something. It's that special. And so just sitting up front, when you're sitting in the back and looking forward, you might see a little bit, but I see a lot in the facial expressions from up here. And it's, I can tell you, it's such a blessing and um, I love it. It's harder to catch some of your expressions up there, but I do look up there every once in a while. <laughs> so it's good to see that Thomas is, you know, watching over that really crowd over there. <laughs> so anyway, I, it's a joy to, to preach through these, these lessons, being led by the Spirit. I don't want you to be misinformed in, in that we're going to be talking about, so how do we be led by the Spirit? But actually, the reality is we are being led by the Spirit. The problem is, is the, act, the question is, is are you, are you responding to that leading or not? And so we're going to be looking at this, being led by, this, by the Spirit and in this morning. And I, it's funny, I, I had to even put on my, note, on my notes, glasses are in my pocket. <laughs> I was like, I got up there to read scripture this morning. I was like, oh, man. I was like, oh, my goodness. Glass in the pocket. This morning before we pray, we heard of, um, of Ann Patterson's aunt that is in hospice now. She, she's gone over our, our, our prayer um, sheet and, and on Facebook on our prayer. On our prayer um, we asked for prayer for her. You could also be praying for Tim Newfeld. You know, he's a former, well, kind of like a Marine. There's no, there's no former Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Kind of once a missionary, always a missionary. Um, so Tim Newfeld, um, missionary, and um, he is now uh, kind of unofficially retired. He's, he's retired, but still ministering. He fell out of bed, and in the process, he, he uh, broke some vertebrae. So he's in the hospital. So you can be praying for Tim and Esther. And um, and so I'll be praying for them. And I love, they're just a, just a blessing and a neat couple. Tim has been 
dealing with dementia, so he's struggling there. And so some of you know about that and how hard that is. And so you can be praying for Esther as she is, is and the family members that are dealing with that. So let's go to Lord in prayer as we look at our text this morning, as we talk about our life in the Spirit and how the Spirit is leading us this morning and what that looks like. So let's pray. Lord, we ask for your blessings in the life of uh, the missionaries, uh, Tim and Esther, especially Tim as he's in pain and at the hospital. We don't know what the outcome uh, will be. And uh, obviously, he's not going to be very mobile and going to be dealing with a lot of pain. Um, you know that, uh, Lord, you know all these things. You know what he needs. Lord, I am so grateful knowing for sure because of what you've done for us on the cross and rose again and the life that we now live being led by the Spirit, I know that one day you will take care of our bodies. No more pain, no more agony, no more tears. We'll all be wiped away. No more distractions. We will just see you face to face. And Lord, we will worship you. And we will just enjoy that loving relationship face to face. So Lord, we pray that you'd be with Tim and Esther. Esther, as she is also dealing with Tim's uh, dementia, but just, um, just watching a loved one in pain. So Lord, I pray that you just comfort and encourage her. Thank you for the peace that you've provided for us because of the relationship that we have with you, bringing us in unity with you. So Lord, I pray that that would just strengthen her as I know it does because I've seen and heard her talk about it. So, Lord, bless her, I pray. Bless our time together. Lord, we are still in the flesh. We are still human. We get tired. We get distracted. We, the cares of this life sometimes uh, take priority when it should not because, Lord, you are great. We get so distracted because of this fallen world. But, Lord, help us not to be distracted and to see how great you truly are and that, Lord, it would lead us to a good understanding of our relationship with you this morning. So, Lord, speak to us, not by my words, not, not through me as a pastor, but, Lord, would, as we read your word in different areas, that you would speak to us through it and help us to understand. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 8, we've been uh, roaring through in a slow pace. We've uh, slowed down the pace a bit. We'll talk about two verses next week. So we're going to go two last week, one this week. You know, we're doing the going down and up again. Um, But this is a hinge verse. This verse really helps us to understand what came prior to it, and it helps us to understand what's coming after. And so uh, because of that, we really need to take our time Partly because it's easy to get distracted because of human thought rather than looking at what God is saying to us. And we don't want to do that. Like today, there's a lot of philosophies going around talking about the haves and the have-nots. There's Marxist theology, philosophy. Um, It's not old, by the way. Um, Marx didn't come up with it. It's, you know, ever since... Uh, we've had sin, we've had this human idea of the haves and the haves-nots, and, 
And the have-nots always want what the haves has, and, and the have, you know, the haves don't want to share with the have-nots, and they're trying to just, you know, keep what they have. And, and that's kind of an idea and a philosophy that's been flying around, and it really distracts us from God having this idea of equality. And the reality is, is there is no equality apart from God. And there's a lot of a lot of these philosophies today that are trying to really distract us from what the truth really is. That there are only two types of people in this world. The people that are in the flesh, that don't have God's spirit living in them, that are separate from God, not in God's kingdom. And then you have those that are in the spirit that have been born of God, that are in God's kingdom, that so that are not in the flesh, but are in the Lord, in Christ, have been born again into a new family. So those that are apart from the family of God and those that are in the family of God. And, and Paul has been talking about this to Ro the Romans. The reality is, is that in our society, we want to mix those two. We want to mix and say that we can have a mixture of both. We can try to unite this and that. And God's saying, no, we can't. You're either in one or you're in the other. And that's what happens when human thought, and we try to make it palatable to our understanding, we try to mix all of this, and it gets really confusing, and I don't want us to be confused. I don't want this to be a message about how you can earn your salvation, because you can't. Last week was not about you can move yourself from the flesh to the spirit, it was showing you how they're totally different. Paul is showing you how you know that you are a believer because your life looks different. Not that you can be, work your way into that. And so I want to make that clear. There's a contrast between two types of people that are being dominated by two different things. When we say dominated, we mean that you're subjugated to. Paul in Romans 8 He's really defining what we've already seen in Romans 5, 6, and 7. And he's just talking about now how the Spirit plays into it. What's the role of God's Spirit? And we see that there are two categories. The person dominated by the flesh or subjugated to the flesh. And the person that's dominated by the Spirit. Verse 5 in Romans 8. And there are two kingdoms that dominate your life. There's either, the, either you're in the flesh or you're in the spirit. There are two conditions. There, there's two conditions and that you're in the flesh and you're not, you don't belong to God. And then, or you're in the spirit and you belong to Christ. You belong to the Lord. There are two births. You're physically born into this world in the flesh and, or you are born again as Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, and that you're born in, by the Spirit, born of the Spirit, and, and he talks about that in John chapter 3. There are two mindsets, a mind that is dominated by earthly thinking, and then there's the other mindset that is on the Spirit, that is driven to think about the Lord, to desire the Lord, that sets their mind on the Lord. There's two conditions that are only present. There's the, the condition or the disease, the condition that is 
death, when you're in the flesh, there's death having no relationship with God. You cannot please God. And we're not talking about the physical death. We're talking about spiritually dead, separated from God. But if you're, the condition of the spirit is, is that you have life and peace, life in a dead world. We're spiritually alive to the Lord. We have peace in a troubled world. There's also a future condition because those who are in the flesh are going to experience spiritual death, being separated from God for all eternity, being in hell. Galatians chapter 5, also in verse 13, which we'll read in a minute. Also, there's the resurrection life that's in the future in verses 11 and 13 of, in our text. That there's this life, this spiritual life that God has given us that we'll have for eternity with him. There's a relationship to God. You know that people that are in the flesh have a relationship with God. They're enemies to God. In verse 7, it says that they're an enemy. They hate God. But in, when we're in the spirit, there's, we are sons of God. We love God. We desire God. There's also guidance. These two opposing positions, these two opposing people, that those that are in the flesh, they're taking guidance from the world rather than guidance from the Holy Spirit, from God's Spirit, from the Lord. There's a person that's obligated because he's under the dominion of the flesh. He's obligated to the flesh, but when we're in the Spirit, we're obligated to the Spirit because we live under the Spirit's Subjection to control in our life. We're positionally under the Lord. That's not, we don't positionally, we're not obligated to earn our relationship with the Lord. We're positionally, if he has saved us and we've responded to him and he saved us and we're in the spirit, we're, we're obligated to live as the family of God in his family. Our life should look like his family rather than looking like the world. We're under a different obligation. So that brings us to verse 14. Let's read the text. It says, let's start in, in verse 9 and read through verse 14. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh. That's one group. But in the spirit, that's the other group. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, that's our physical body, is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life, we have spiritual life, because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who resides in Jesus, raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he also raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, or we're obligated, we are debtors, not to the flesh, if we're in the spirit. We don't, we're not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's spiritual death. But... If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons 
of God. What, we've, what we are coming to the realization of in this text, what, what God is telling us, what Paul is telling the church in Romans and God is telling to us, the flesh cannot destroy, be destroyed in this life. Our flesh, we can't actually kill this flesh. But the deeds which proceed from it can be killed because of the life of the Spirit that resides in us through the work of the Spirit in our life. God is telling us we have this new position when God redeemed us, when he justified us by the blood of the Lamb, because of what Christ did on the cross for our sins, when he justified us and declared us right in his eyes because of what Christ did, taking on all of God's wrath and paying for our sins, we are now in the Spirit. And because we're in the Spirit, we no longer are obligated to live under the control of the flesh. Even though the flesh is still alive in us, it's being transformed day by day because of the work of the Holy Spirit. We have a new position in Christ. We've been sanctified, but now the Holy Spirit is slowly sanctifying us day by day to look more like the family of God, to look more like Christ. It's the work of the Spirit in our life. That's what he's trying to tell us. And we see that here now in our text, we have this evidence of sonship, that we do belong to the family of God. We have this great assurance. We know that we are no longer condemned. We have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we're a part of his family, we're no longer condemned. And now we are sons. God's spirit is, is actively, or we are the children of God because we are led by the spirit. Now we have this leading of the Spirit in our life that is actively leading us, and we know, and we have this assurance and confidence because it's not the flesh that's leading us now, it's now the Spirit is leading us. This is important to understand here. This is what he's saying in verse 14. This is a hinge that's going to speak. It speaks both to the fact that we're no longer obligated because now it's, it is being led by the Spirit. We're his children. We're no longer children of wrath, enemies of God, of the flesh, but now we are his children. That means something amazing because we have a new head of the household, right? We understand that. The Bible tells us that he says that there's a role for men, there's a role for women, and there's a role for children in the household. And now he says you are under a new headship, and that is that we're being led by Christ's Spirit. We're being led by the Holy Spirit. I want you to see that here in this text, it tells us, I want you to note that the verb here, when it says being, you are led, if you are led by the Spirit of God, this verb is passive. It's not active. If it's active, it's saying that you are doing the leading. But as a passive, it's saying that Somebody else is leading. What it suggests is that the Spirit is the primary agent in the Christian obedience. He is the active agent that helps the Christian to be obedient. That it is his work, the Holy Spirit's work in the believer, that accounts 
for your newfound obedience and desire for God. Although this does not exclude the need for believers to respond and follow the leading. As he leads, we follow. The emphasis here is, it emphasizes that any human obedience is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. John Murray, in talking about this passage in this verse, he said this in expressing the balance between the work of the Holy Spirit and our following the Spirit. It says the, act, the activity of the believer is the evidence of the Spirit's activity. If you're actively engaged in a spiritual walk with the Lord, that's the activity of the Spirit, he's saying. So the activity of the believer is the evidence of the Spirit's activity, and the activity of the Spirit is the cause of the believer's activity. This is the mystery in which we saw in verse 13, whereby the Spirit, by the Spirit, we kill our sin. God gives us the power, but we must take action to obey it. So the point here that Paul is trying to make, that is, if the Spirit of God is leading us to kill our sin, then we can be assured that we are children of God. We belong to his family. That's a blessing that we're going to talk about some more. This dominant idea of being sanctified, that we are now becoming children of God to be sanctified, is the idea that when we say the word sanctification, it is separation from what is secular and sinful and set apart for what is holy and sacred. We're no longer, when we are sanctified positionally, we're no longer set apart for that which is worldly and sinful, but we're now set apart as sons for that which is holy. We are set apart for that, for God, for God's special use. This is all made possible by the atoning work of Christ and the provision of his spirit. As we grow in our walk with God, it's by God's grace. It's by God's spirit leading us. Yeah, I think this idea is like, okay, so if it's, this is God's spirit leading us, and that's how we know we are children of God, is how will you live? He's saying, how will you live? Well, he says, you live by being children of God. What does being led by the Spirit mean? When he says you are led by the Spirit, what does that mean? Does that mean that the Spirit leads only super-Christians? Is he saying, if you are led by the Spirit, you need to be a super-Christian? There are those that say that. That's not what Paul is speaking about. Because if we are saying we have to be a super-Christian, we're putting the emphasis on us rather than on Christ and the Holy Spirit. All Christians are led by the Spirit of God. Nor is he speaking about something that is mo merely momentary. When he says you are led by the Spirit, you are the, become the sons of God. He's saying that you are. He doesn't say that, don't, you know, are you, you know, some people say, well, are you being led by the Spirit? 
the Holy Spirit, if you are a son, sons of God, if you are children of God, if you're in the family of God, you've been united with Christ, and now you're, rose, you're risen again, you're born again into his family, he doesn't stop leading you. Now, we stop listening, don't we? We stop following. That's another verse for another, for another message. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that you're going to be led sometimes for five minutes. And you need to pray that the Spirit leads you. No, he's leading you. The question is, is we need to pray, Lord, am I listening? Am I paying attention to his word? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? John MacArthur said it this way. It was very helpful. It says, to be led by the Spirit is the same as walking by him, but carries additional emphasis on his leadership. We do not walk along with him as an equal, but we follow his leading as our sovereign, divine guide. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. These are who are following God these are who are allowing God to guide them. We emphasize on the leadership. The problem is, is we struggle with that. We don't want the Lord to be sovereign over our life. But if we are in God's family, he is our Lord. There is no other Lord. So let me suggest there are seven things that I want to look at that are involved in being led by the Spirit. So we can say, well, how do we know if we are being led by the Spirit? That's what, rather than the question is, how can I be led by the Spirit? You, if, you're, if you're saved, you're being led. But how do we know that? How do we have assurance of that? Well, number one, those who are led by the Spirit are personally corrected as sons. Have you ever had that twinge? You've sinned? Something came flying out of your mouth, and as soon as it did, your heart just sank on the inside. That's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's also fear of a father figure or a mother figure or a boss. <laughs> it's not always the Holy Spirit, right? But I, I've heard people say, well, this never bothered me before. And now all of a sudden I get this, it's like a red flag. It's like, warning, warning, warning. It's like a beacon goes off. It's like, that's not right. There's this correction to our life. You know, what's funny here is, is being led by the Spirit and being a son of God. He doesn't tell us that he's, as a son of God, he's protecting all of us from life. He does protect us from sin. Right, But for, not from sinning, but from the effects of the sin. If we're truly saved, we're protected from the effects of the sin one day when we stand before our holy and righteous God. But this is, he, sometimes we think of, if we live this new life as son of God, we're going to be protected. It's not protection, it's correction. He's going to take and correct us from that old life of living in the flesh. And he's going to correct us to make us look more like the family. Have you ever had somebody come visit you and say, well, yeah, my family doesn't quite do it like that. I'll never forget after 
we were married, Anissa and I. You know, we've been married, I don't know, well, probably a couple months at this point. I always forget our honeymoon. That took a while because I saved up three months of honeymoon time. Only took a month. But then we moved. And we moved and we built, you know, put it first time moving into a home, having this roommate, you know, never had a roommate like this before. Some of you can relate to that. And we're like sitting there and she's cooking up a storm, you know, chair, you know, got apple pies coming out of the oven, got cream pies. And she found out I didn't like cream pies. She didn't like that. We started giving them away <laughs> because she was the only one eating them. She's like, this is not acceptable. I can't do this. So she, but she was enjoying it. And I remember she was stumped one time. She was doing something. And I said, well, you know, my mom does it this way. I don't think I made it back in for several weeks. <laughs> the wrath of Anissa came out. I was like, I remember that look in high school. It was like uh, lasers coming out of her eyes. I was like, oh. so here's the thing. When you come into a new home with somebody else, all of a sudden, there's old habits, old things, and you begin to develop a new household, right? I know that that's what Saba, Saba's learning some of this. You know, he grew up in Georgia, back over, you know, in the Middle East, and kind of, you know, in between the Middle East and, and Asia, right in the middle. <laughs> he's kind of got, he's sandwiched. And now he's over here in the United States living in a new home, right? It's like, oh, there's all these different cultural things we don't do anymore. What God does is he's personally correcting us as sons to look more like his home. Titus 11, 14 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people groups, training us, training us. By the way, that's the same word where we get discipline. You know, like discipline, the spoon in the bottom. <laughs> Correcting, to correct, to train. It says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. He's training us to renounce the flesh in to enjoy this new home that he is, this new relationship, this new family, to purify us. And that's what he's doing. That's what it means to be a son. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 11, he says this, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as son? Have you forgotten that you are now sons? Have you forgotten the exhortation of what it means to be a part of the family of God? And he says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline, same word as training, the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Have you ever been reading scripture and said, oh, that hurts. I don't like that. So what a lot of people do, I'm going to ignore it. 
No. If we're truly sons and part of God's family, he says, he says, when we're disciplined by nor be weary when we we shouldn't be weary, we should be excited because it's an evidentiary that we are his sons. He's training us to look like his family. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have endured. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. We're sharing in his family, in his character. We don't share in righteousness because we do good things. We share in it because he is correcting us to make us, to sanctify us, to look and to be set apart for him. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I love Psalm 94. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach your law. God is correcting us as his son, as his family. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? How do we know that we're being led by the Spirit? He's correcting us as sons. Those who are led by the Spirit are governed by the Spirit consistently. To be led means to be governed. Um, the other one is if you go to uh, John 16, 13, we're going to, a lot from here on out, we're going to be in John 14, John 15, John 16. You want to know everything you need to know about the Holy Spirit? Just read those three chapters and you will know what everything is taught about in the rest of the Bible about the Holy Spirit. I call it the commentary on the Holy Spirit from Christ. This is what he says in verse 13. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will govern you. He will lead you. Paul is not saying that when you're up against a particular trial that the Spirit will just take over at some point and he will just, okay, now you're going to you know, act like the you know, Star Wars and the Jedi and just jump over the big canyon that's in front of you because now the, you know, the metachlorians take over and cause you to do some supernatural thing. Those of you that have never watched Star Wars, you have no clue what I just said. And that's probably good. But the idea is, is that the Holy Spirit, at the moment of your greatest trial, is not going to do some superhuman feat for you. It doesn't mean that God, God's will won't be done and that he may heal you, may, but he's going to continue to lead you no matter what. Ta- Paul is talking about you are being guided consistently. Every moment of every day being governed by the Holy Spirit. He is your governor. He is your leader. 
He is the head of your new household that's leading you, directing you, teaching you, disciplining you, correcting you. And yet, while it's passive voice and the fact that he's leading you, that does not mean that we are not passive participants. In fact, we have the choice whether to yield to his guidance. So it's kind of like this. It's, it's kind of seen like this is seen as a passive yet active relationship. The Spirit, of course, takes the initiative, which is the pattern of God's grace. God takes initiatives to guide us, but we need to be actively following. God's saying, I know the way. Do you walk with him? If you're sons of God, that's what you're going to do. That's your family. How do we know that we're led by the Spirit? Because he is governing us consistently. He's drawing us back to himself. Number three, those who are led by the Spirit are those who have comfort. Think about it. All these things are family-oriented things because we are now in the family of God. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17 says, you know, he's saying, hey, telling his disciples, I'm going away. So that way something better, far better is going to come to do a work in you. Jesus was on the outside teaching and training the disciples, but now he's saying, I must go so that you have something far better, me, my spirit residing in you, because now you're born into the family of God by the work that I did. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another helper. By the way, another helper. Who was the first helper? Christ. Literally, the, the word helper there is comforter, paraclete, the one who comes alongside. It literally means one who, who is going to come along, alongside. It literally means someone who stands by to help and render aid all the time. Now, that should sound familiar. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you are heavy and, burden, and have burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is. He's talking about come to him and walk with him. Take that yoke. When the Spirit comes, he comes alongside to pull, to guide, to to give you the desires to show you what you need to know. Literally, it means to render aid or one who is summoned to the side of another to help, to comfort, to encourage, to counsel, to intercede for, depend on in the need. When you're struggling, you go to him and just rely on his guidance in your life rather than look at your circumstances, to look at your emotions and how you feel about things. Verse 26 of John 14, it says, But the helper, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, notice that in my name, not in anybody else's name, not controlled by anybody else, it's in his name, it represents Christ, we'll get to there in a minute, but I will send in my name, and he will teach you all things, and bring to you the remembrance all that I have said to you. We have a helper. Have you ever wondered why all of a sudden now Bible studies start making sense? 
I remember going through my ordination. Uh, and uh, some of you that are not quite there yet, some of you that just went through that, it's a, it's a trying ordeal. But it is a blessing. I was dreading writing my ordination paper. Standing in front of people and asking questions, I love that. It's like, it was easy. If I didn't know, I, was, I don't know, it was a perfectly good answer. I will find it. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes, you know, it's like, give me a verse and I'll tell you exactly what God says. And they, that's what they wanted to know. Will I rely on scripture? There was aspects of theology about God and who God is and what God does. It didn't ever make sense to me, even though I went to Bible college and spent time in seminary and, and did all these things. And, and as I was going through it, I'm like, I, none of this really makes sense. I know it's true, but I don't understand it. Going through the ordination, all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb went on. And I was like, whoa. I was like, that makes sense. And I, could, and I was able to answer it. And wow, it was like, people are like, wow, you're very wise. I'm like, no, I'm not. It just all of a sudden made sense. The Holy Spirit led me, guided me, showed me what was error, what was truth. And all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, yeah, what I thought that was really was stupid. What I, I was like, my thoughts, my initial thoughts was really dumb. I'm very simplistic. <laughs> I was like, wow. Now all of a sudden, this theology became huge. I was like, it's not as simple as I thought it was. And I was like, my God is so great. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I like what it's second. When you're a part of the God's family, we have this great comfort. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, the God and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and a good hope through grace or by grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and good word. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Brings us, when we're living in the family of God, he gives us this eternal comfort that the world can never offer you. Here's the fourth one, is that those who are led by the Spirit are led in the way of truth. We've already read this verse in John 14, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said. John 16, he says it again in verse 13. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You notice, what is truth? God's spirit is truth. His word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, right? And listen, he says, and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, that's the Holy Spirit, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. By the way, the word truth there, when he says the spirit of truth, this word in Greek indicates the li in a very literal sense, that which contains nothing hidden. When Jesus said, I will give you the Holy Spirit who will lead you to the truth, he says, I'm going to give you so that way there was, that you'll have nothing hidden. 
that which is not concealed. He will always lead you in the way of understanding and applying the scripture. That's what, when, when you're being led by the Spirit, that's what He's doing. He is guiding you, helping you, comforting you, coming alongside to help you to understand, to walk in the way of the Lord. The, the, the Spirit's leadership here, what, what Paul is telling us in verse 14, as sons and daughters in the family of God, is that the Spirit's, the Spirit's leadership strengthens in strengthens our obedience, our faithfulness, and conforming us into the image of Christ rather than into the image of the world. That's why when you say, well, I'm, I'm going to do, if I just do this, this, and this, everything will work. It doesn't work. Who's guiding you is more important than what you are doing because who's guiding you will show you the right path to take in what you do. What Just doing good things is not always the right thing. That's why God says there's a way that says, seems right unto man, but it leads to destruction. You have to get off of that hobby horse of, oh, I see something good, or it feels good, or it seems good. doesn't mean it is good. Those who are led by the Spirit are led to glorify Jesus. Those who are led in John 14, it says, he will glorify me. John, I'm sorry, I'm being dyslexic. John 16, 14 says, he will glorify me for he will take that which is mine and will disclose it to you. Those who are led by the Spirit glorify Christ. I know when people say, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in the Spirit. I'm in the Spirit, I'm in the Spirit. I'm like, and they say, look at all I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. This is a, it's all about, I hear a lot of I's and me's. And I hear, but God tells us, Christ tells us that the Holy Spirit's leading will glorify Christ. And he'll glorify Christ to build up the church. It's not about self. When the Spirit leads us and guides us, when he is sovereign over us, it's not about self. It's not about my idea. It's not about my project. It's not about my ministry. It's not about my ideology. It's not about my theology. It's not about my image and what I look like. It's not about how I feel. It's about Christ. To glorify Christ, to glorify him, what... The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, will bring glory to him. It means to, when it says that, it, it, the words literally mean to influence one's opinion about another so as to enhance the latter's reputation. The idea is, is that we're, we're, we're saying that we're influencing Christ's reputation as we're being led by the Spirit. He's going to enhance Christ's reputation to the point That he is bigger and we are smaller. Scripture often talks about and speaks to us about glorifying God, worshiping him. The Holy Spirit works to glorify Christ. He's at hard at work to, to have you glorify Christ. He does not draw attention to himself. 
The Holy Spirit isn't drawing attention to himself. We as sons and daughters of Christ are not drawing attention to ourselves. We're drawing attention to Christ. I remember taking Anissa to Notre Dame. I've always wanted to take her to Europe. I tried to spend three days there in Europe. God had other plans. Uh, I tried to take a holdover when we were on our way back from Africa because we had to fly through Paris. If you have to fly through Paris, take a long layover. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, let's, let's take advantage of this. And I said, let's spend three days in Paris. We end up spending a total of a 24-hour period in Paris. And, but I, I can't remember how much our phone said we walked. It was, we, we left Paris tired. Let's just put it that way. We looked forward to resting when we got home. But we went to Notre Dame and said, hey, come look at Notre Dame. This is amazing. We walked out of Notre Dame and she said, this is so unimpressive. And I'm like, what? She goes, it's just, it's so ugly. And I'm like, what? A week later, it burned. I was like, honey. <laughs> it's like, and, but what she was saying is, she, she, it was not impressive. It didn't, it didn't impress her in the least. I was like, wow. Because we were going through, and there were private chapels set up for worship, and it said closed for repairs, closed for cleaning, or only for this family or that family. And it was, she's like, it just, and it, it was dark and dreary and dingy. She says, and she was looking at the history. The history was fascinating. She goes, that, that was fascinating. But it distracted from God's glory. When the Holy Spirit is leading us, it's going to magnify God's glory, magnify Christ. Sometimes when we get distracted, no matter how much attention people try to bring to themselves and, and bring to these things, these, these architectural buildings, it will never glorify and magnify Christ, but that's what the Holy Spirit does that resides in us. We now are, don't you not know that you've been bought with a price? We celebrated that price this morning. You've been bought with a price. Now glorify God with your body, he says. I like John 15, 26. It's, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you, the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, will bear witness about me. It's easy to share the gospel when we're allowing, when we're following the lead of the Spirit. Because he will bring everything that we need back to remembrance. He will remind us and he will glorify Christ. Six, those who are led by the Spirit are empowered by him. I like Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28, when it, in it's prophesying what God was going to do through the work of Christ on the cross. He's, he says, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of, of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you. Don't underestimate that word cause. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't merely guide us, but he empowers us. That's why Paul was praying in Ephesians chapter 3 in his prayer. It's an amazing prayer. He's saying, don't be a Christian that's like a race car that has no engine. You don't go anywhere. Right? You get on the you know, Indianapolis 500. I know everybody's talking about the Super Bowl next week. But, you know, two weeks from now is the Indianapolis 500. And some of the fastest cars will be flying around an oval track, never learning how to turn right, always turning left. That's a joke if you watch race car driving. Uh, so here's the thing. How would you like to get to the starting line and all of a sudden they say, go, and you go nowhere? Paul was saying that to us. He says in verse 16 of Ephesians 3, he says, that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to get through everything. Look at the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He empowers us. Not like knowledge, no matter how much you know or think you know. But it grounds us in his love. It grounds us in strength. He empowers us. He grounds us. When the wind and the storms of this life threaten to blow you over, he grounds us. He empowers us. Those who are led by the Spirit are transformed Somebody said, told me, he says, you have no, no verses on the end of these notes. It's because this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. This is what it means to be led. This is by implication. If he is guiding you, leading you to glorify, if you are in, if he's leading you, you're going to be in the truth. You are going to be different. Now, there are a lot of verses that tell us this. We could go there. But that's what Paul is trying to tell the church in Rome. That's what he's trying to tell us. We, as sons and daughters, we will be different because of the work of the Holy Spirit as he guides us along in life. By the way, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't just replace the bad parts of you. I'm, let me tell you a secret. Everything about us is bad. Right? He replaces every part. And I can't wait till I get to heaven and he replaces this body because no longer I will no longer have pain. Right? But you know why? I won't have that distraction. Do you know sometimes when you're at church worshiping and it's hard, you have pain, something's going on in your life and it's distracting you, and it's hard. Seeing, seeing how great God is and glorifying and worshiping him and telling him, and you have all those distractions going on, no more distractions. We will see fully God face to face. He doesn't just transform part of you. He transforms all of you. He is going in that direction. We'll no longer be a cucumber. We'll be a pickle. Those of you that are laughing, remember my 
Romans chapter 7 message. The conclusion is this. In him, Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, you heard of Christ and his work, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He who began a good work in us will continue to perform it until the day of Christ. We are sanctified by position. We are in the family of God by position. We are no longer in the family of this world by flesh, but we're positionally in God's family, but he is purifying us. He's putting fire to our feet, getting rid of the, the impurities and bringing out the precious things of God. This gives us great hope. This has nothing to do with us. This gives us great stability because think about what the work of the Holy Spirit is doing. All of these things. He's not only that, but he's guarding your your salvation. Until he gives it to us when Christ returns and takes us home. We have great hope and comfort, desires from this that we now, being led by the Spirit, for all who are led by the Spirit are, are, not might or will be, we are sons of God. We are those that are in Christ, those that have the Spirit are being led by the Spirit. How do you know that? Well, these things will be taking place in your life by the Spirit. That means now we have this new responsibility to live in this new household, to follow the Spirit, to follow the leading of the headship of our new home. We have in this new beautiful home And he says, I'm giving you the right to enjoy all the rights of this new family. Will you follow his leadership, his headship in your life? He will lead you. He will guide you. He will give you what you need when you need it. All the time he's residing in you, giving you that. If if you have surrendered to Christ, if you repented of your sins, And says, you are the way. I know you've paid for my sins when you died on the cross. And you rose again. You did the work that I could not do. Satisfying all of God's wrath. You stood between me and God and took it. And gave me, you took my sin and you gave me your righteousness. And justified me. If you have been born again into his family, you have this new household. Enjoy the relationship with him. And we'll talk about that, enjoying that relationship next week. But we have to follow him. Otherwise, you're just outside this beautiful 
new home, star staring at it and say, I love this new home. It'd sure be nice if I was protected from all the things going on out here. I sure would like it if I could really enjoy a, a good meal. I sure would like, and yet the whole time we're complaining because we're standing outside the home. And God's saying, hey, follow me. I'm leading, I'm guiding, I'm calling. You're in this, but we're not enjoying it because we're not letting him lead. Well, he always leads. We just aren't following. We're not listening. Will you respond to his active leadership in our new life with him? That's what Paul is telling us and reminding us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great verse that helps us to understand this new relationship, this new household that you have brought us to. It's easy to get distracted and think that we can earn our salvation, but the reality is we are not good enough. We can't justify ourselves. But you sent your son, part of, part of who you are. Well, that's a wrong statement to you, Lord. You know, it's all of you that came in the likeness of human form, in the flesh, veiled by the flesh, 100% man, 100% God, to die for our sins. So we would be brought into a new family. Not born of the flesh, but born of the spirit. Of your work in our life. Lord, I pray that we would stop being distracted by thinking we can earn our way and that we would just simply surrender to the gift that you gave us through Christ. And that if there's someone here that hasn't surrendered and called upon the name of the Lord, and they feel, they see, feel, they know deep down in their heart that the Holy Spirit is tugging on them, leading them, guiding them, and they're hearing your truth and know it because of the Spirit, that they would respond to it this morning and call upon your name and be saved. Lord, thank you for the work that you've done for us. May we not take for granted this new house that we live in and let you lead, or Lord, follow your leadership, your headship in our life. Praise you and thank you for your word that guides, leads, and helps us to understand what is going on in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.